Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. It's a fact. If the riches of the wealthy were suddenly given to the average American, the rich would have most of their wealth back in no time at all. Not because they're more deserved, but because they do a great job of getting us to spend it back to them. And once in their hands, they work it to their self-interest. The host of Get Rich Slow, Jim McAleese, believes the financial decisions you make today will guide your financial destiny tomorrow. Jim teaches you to plan for the worst and then hope for the best. America is under no obligation to provide what you need. Entitlements are out. Opportunity is today's watchword. Money matters can be intimidating, but they don't have to be. So start or supercharge your wealth-building plan now with Jim McAleese. Good morning, and welcome to Get Rich Slow. This is your money school for financial winners, and here we explore strategies to help you prosper. We look at the big picture and then develop plans, plans to help guide our families to meet their financial goals. Get Rich Slow gives you solid financial strategies, strategies that will help improve your financial life. If you want the truth, not the hype, please join us for the next hour for Get Rich Slow. I'm Jim McAleese, Certified Financial Planner and President of Cornerstone Consultants Incorporated. We're securities and investment advisory services are offered through Next Financial Group Incorporated, which is a member of Fidler and Civic. Cornerstone Consultants is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group. Well, good morning. The summer is over. Well, almost over. The house is back to normal with the kids back in school. And guess what? The kids are happy to be back in school with their teachers and friends and sports and events and everything else that goes with the school day. The day starts with those bracing 50 to 60 degree temperatures, and then they warm up to the 75 or 80. Yes, I know that technically it is still summer until fall starts in September 22nd, which is just a few days away. But we're past Labor Day, and the fall temperatures are feeling great. And I've noticed that the field crops, the soybeans and the corn, they're starting to change their color to, from particularly the soybeans, from green to yellow. And the fall changes are going to start soon. Now we can turn our attention to getting the homestead in shape for the winter. Any big outside projects with contractors had better be started or get started soon. There is no accounting for the weather in Northeast Ohio. And for the smaller projects, we can do them at our leisure and our own sweet time. That is until the first frost appears on the pumpkin. And then we better pick up the pace. 
Uh, but that's not until maybe late October or so. We have five yet. And in between chores, we can check on what's happening to our economy and basically the global economy and see how all that is affecting our investments. This week, global equities are mostly down basically everywhere. In the U.S., the three major uh, equity indices were down. And you look over at the Europe and the U.K., uh, the indices were down. In Asia, uh, Japan was up, but the rest of the place was down. And on Friday, the market closed at uh, the Dow Jones, closed at uh, 34,584.88. That was down one-tenth of one percent for the week. The Standard and Poor 500, uh, that closed at 4,432.99. That was down six-tenths of one percent for the week. And the NASDAQ closed at 15,043.94, which was down uh, one-half of one percent for the week. And if you take a look at a month ago, a month ago, while this market has been going up and down, the standard in four or five hundred was almost in the same place that it was Friday. A month ago, on August twentieth, uh, they closed the week at four thousand four hundred forty-one point six seven, and yesterday closed the market at four thousand four hundred thirty-two point nine nine. So <clears throat> things are pretty close. I think the market's been moving up and down, but the usual. Suspect in all this uh, in the, this minor volatility is the uncertainty surrounding the COVID pandemic with its uh, transmissible Delta variant. You know, China missed its numbers for August uh, with retail sales only up uh, two and a half percent from a year ago, and that was down sharply from July's year-over-year growth of eight and a half percent, and that's. Primarily due to the restrictions in, in shutting down certain cities and ports uh, to contain the virus. In addition, uh, China and Hong Kong uh, uh, equity indices have been hit by gathering fears around the economic slowdown and the uh, debt problems with its giant property developer uh, Evergrande Group. Uh, that has hit both uh, consumer spending and the housing sector. The rest of Southeast Asia is also having problems with restrictions due to the COVID. And uh, in addition, <clears throat> U.S. investors are probably concerned about what's going to happen at this Federal Reserve, Federal Open Market Committee meeting next, uh, you know, this coming Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, a couple of weeks ago at the uh, at the Jackson Hole uh, Symposium, uh, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, uh, Powell, uh, he, he was, uh, they were, but from what he said, investors were guessing that the Federal Reserve would lay out their plans for easing back on the monetary stimulus. At that time, uh, they were getting good numbers in terms of the um, payroll data, things of this nature, and things were feeling pretty good. And uh, uh, that's before the COVID, uh, uh, this, this newest brand, this uh, Delta, uh, actually started filling up the hospitals. So 
uh, we expected that uh, the Federal Reserve was, would talk about an ounce tapering of their $120 billion a month uh, asset purchase. But the recent payroll numbers that came out for August, uh, there were 235,000 new jobs, and that's versus 1,053,000 uh, payroll rise in July. I think that may cause the Federal Reserve to wait. Uh, so I don't expect them uh, to <clears throat> make any big announcements in terms of their tapering at this September uh, thing, according to the economists. And uh, uh, probably it'll, it'll happen at the November uh, Federal Open Market Committee meeting before they really start to talk about their tapering plans. Uh, in addition, the Federal Reserve is is also probably watching uh, Washington as Congress and the administration. Uh, they have a, a full plate in terms of uh, problems that they have to get solved soon. Uh, one is keeping the federal government operating past September 30th. Uh, they got to get the appropriations, uh, appropriation, but and the budget for fiscal 2022. Uh, the federal government. Uh, their fiscal year runs from October 1st through September 30th, so that the budget for fiscal 2022 has to be appropriated and signed off by September 30th, or the government shuts down. If you recall, uh, during the Trump administration, the government uh, basically, the federal government basically shut down for several weeks. Uh, so they've got that issue. And then they're going to raise the national debt ceiling, uh, which reached uh, the uh, limit of $28.5 trillion. Uh, that, uh, they reached that at the end of August, but the Treasury Department says that they can keep paying their bills until mid-October. That's according to the Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. So they feel that, okay, we've got to raise the debt ceiling and we've got to uh, get the budget. Probably the the, the, <clears throat> the budget appropriations uh, for 2022 will probably be some sort of an interim continuing resolution. And as the story goes, it might go from October 1st to maybe mid-December, and then they have to readdress the problem again in mid-December. But there's nothing definite on that yet. And if that isn't enough, then they have these two bills that are, that they're, are trying to get through Congress right now. One's a $3.5 trillion uh, budget resolution bill, and that has all sorts of stuff for education and climate and things of this nature, <clears throat> together with a $1 trillion uh, infrastructure bill. You know, and all these these three things have all actually basically happened in a fairly short period of time. Or let me put it this way: the, the, <clears throat> the first two, raising the debt ceiling and and uh, raising the debt ceiling and, and keeping the government operating for the, the fiscal 2022 budget, have to be done. But uh, the other three and a half trillion, one trillion dollar infrastructure, uh, that can That'll take as long as they wanted to do it. And so, and uh, paying for that three and a half billion dollar uh, social program bill is going to be a heavy lift. On uh, Monday, <clears throat> excuse me, this past Monday, 
the House Ways and Means Committee uh, chairman, Richard Neal, he released a, a plan, a voluminous plan. I don't know how many pages there were to the thing, uh, to pay for the new uh, $3.5 trillion social program aimed at expanding access to paid family leave, education, health care, and combating uh, climate change. <clears throat> the proposal aimed at raising $2 trillion in new revenue over the next decade from uh, high-income high income households and also from U.S. companies. Uh, from the Wall Street Journal article, the Joint Committee on Taxation uh, says that the plan includes about $1 trillion of tax increases on high-income households and about $1 trillion in tax increases uh, on corporations. In addition, they expect to generate uh, approximately $120 billion in tougher tax uh, enforcement and $700 billion from their uh, drug uh, pricing policy changes. So uh, that's more of the things that are in the work. Now, just to give you <clears throat> an overview of what they're proposing in this uh, for new taxes. Uh, the individual tax increases uh, for the high, uh, this is from the Wall Street Journal, high-income households will face a series of tax increases. The basic top income tax rate would increase to 39.6% from 37%, with the top bracket starting at $400,000 for individuals and $450,000 for married couples. So um, a slight increase in the, uh, uh, their top-rated income tax. Also, the plan would increase uh, uh, the, uh, the capital gains. Uh, presently, the capital gains uh, uh, start at uh, uh, $400,000. Uh, 20, it's 20% if you're single and you're making more than 441500 in marriage filing journey. It's, it's close to 500000 And this plan would increase the, uh, the long-term capital gains and, and uh, dividend rates to 25% from 20%, currently 20%. Now it goes up to 25 But <clears throat> it doesn't include the structural change to the capital gains rules that would have imposed taxes on unrealized gains at death. So uh, the step up at death has not been changed. In other words, basically, if you if you buy something and uh, uh, an asset for let's say two hundred thousand dollars, and the asset grows to four hundred thousand dollars, and you uh, die and pass that asset on to your Heirs, then uh, there's no uh, capital gains on your part nor the heirs' part. So that's called the step up and at death, and that's not been changed, which was a big surprise because uh, that was one of the concerns that people had about these changes. And also, uh, continuing along with the, uh, the income tax. Uh, they're going to put in a, the uh, <clears throat> the existing uh, 
an existing 3.8% investment income tax and surtax on the new 25% of capital gains could raise, raise the capital gains as high as 31.8% for high wage earners. Uh, the capital gains tax increase would be effective on Monday. Uh, and then none of this has been, has been basically uh, signed off into the law. This is the this is the uh, uh, effort of the House Ways and Means Committee, and it has, still has to be uh, approved by the House of Representatives after some negotiation, and then it has to go passed on to the Senate for more negotiations before it ever gets to the the, um, uh, the president's desk. So what they're looking for is uh, the capital gains tax increase would be effective as of Monday. So they, and that would preclude uh, investors uh, a big selling frenzy at the end of the year to get the old uh, tax the capital gains tax rates rather than the new one. So. Uh, we'll see how all this works out as time goes on. And uh, <clears throat> another thing is that the proposal also calls for a 3% uh, surtax on individuals and married couples with adjusted gross in- incomes over $5 million. Uh, the uh, increases in the estate tax exemption that is scheduled to expire after uh, 2025 will now end at the end of this year, and the plan would also limit several estate tax planning techniques, including some use of grant or trust and asset transfers with discounted values. Uh, continuing on that line, the House plan would reverse the doubling of the estate and gift tax exclusions that Congress created in 2017. And that increase would end after the end of this year instead of expiring at the end of 2025. The exclusion would likely fall to around $6 million for individuals from its present uh, $11.7 million. And uh, uh, that would be, that would be uh, $6 million for individuals, $12 million for couples. Right now it's $11.7 million. Uh, uh, per individuals and approximately 23 million for couples. Uh, estates that are bigger than that, uh, they can they can use charitable deductions and they can use uh, um, perhaps other trusts and things of this nature. But once you get above that exclusion number, uh, the estate tax applies and the estate tax. Federal estate tax is 40%. So if you had, uh, <clears throat> presently, if you had uh, $23 million and uh, you were still below that uh, uh, exclusion amount as a couple, uh, there wouldn't be any estate taxes. But now they're, they're going to change that at the end of this year. They're proposed to change it at the end of this year, cut that in half. So that is now going to be six million and uh, uh, probably twelve six million for individuals and twelve million for uh, couples. And uh, uh, like I say, the, the the federal estate tax exclusion right now is about eleven point six million for individuals and twenty three 
for a couple of things that would be basically cut in half. And uh, that, that amount above that would be exposed to that 40% uh, federal uh, estate taxes. Now, in terms of the business tax increases with this new plan, uh, would raise the corporate tax rate to 26.5% from 21%. And uh, that's below the 28% that the Biden administration proposed. <clears throat> and uh, smaller corporations would get uh, uh, a lower rate. You know, under the proposal, which would replace the uh, flat corporate rate with a graduated uh, rate structure, terms that uh, uh, whose income is up to four, $400,000, they would be paying an 18% rate. If you're over uh, that, you'd be paying a 21% rate, uh, tax rate up to $5 million, uh income. And above $5 million income, it would be 26.5. And the benefits of the graduated uh, rate would phase out for firms earning more than $10 million a year. So that proposal would pair back a tax break to businesses and also that uh, uh, pay the owner's individual tax return. These companies such as S-Corps and LLCs and partnerships, they would face caps on deductions they got in the 2017 tax uh, law. The plan would limit the deductions at 500000 for joint filers and $400,000 for individuals. Uh, the proposal, like the administration's plan, would also impose a 3.8% tax on those entities known as pass-through businesses. Currently, a tax at that rate applies to wages of high-income individuals and to passive incomes, but active businesses' profits were exempt, and now they're going to face a new tax. And this is really... What we're talking about here is a, a gross overview of this new tax plan that is, is supposed to support this $3.5 trillion uh, uh, bill. And uh, I think there's something like uh, it's a huge number of pages that are in this tax proposal and probably a huge number of details. So the tax plan... Is in flux. You still have to uh, go through the the uh, vote from the House of Representatives, and there'll be more negotiations before they get to that point. And then it goes on to the Senate for their uh, input, and then it goes on to the President. So uh, this is just a, uh, an overview of the status of it right now. Uh, but that's one of the things that. Um, you know, it, it came out this week, and there's uh, a lot of people scrambling. You know, we've been <clears throat> moving money into all sorts of trusts ever since uh, October and November of the last year uh, in anticipation of this thing. So uh, what you look at is uh, uh, let's, let, let's depart from that and let's go back and look at the economy and our investments. And, uh, you know, basically while this COVID pandemic has introduced a lot of uncertainty, uh, the U.S. economy is still, uh, is still strong, uh, even in resilient in the face of this uh, variant, this Delta variant. If you take a look at it, you see job openings 
their job openings have never been more plentiful. Uh, the unemployment is going down, and uh, we'll talk about that later in the show. Uh, Americans have uh, increased their spending at retailers last month. You know, uh, you know, the employers are really holding on to the people and resisting the urge to lay off workers. And uh, both of sides of a strong demand in the economy. Uh, sales at the nation's retailers grew seven tenths of a percent in August, and uh, uh, you know, with schools, colleges, campuses, offices reopening, um, consumers are shelling out uh, more money <clears throat> to get back to work and uh, paying for the groceries and the merchandise. And so, inflation even appears to be stabilizing in uh, August. According to the CPI report that we'll talk about later, uh, but the level is still high. For instance, like the uh, August CPI, the uh, the year over year, the consumer price index has is increased 5.3 percent. But you take a look at the core, where we eliminate the core CPI, where we get rid of uh, food and fuel. It's 4%, and that's lower than it was last month. And industrial production increased in August. It's 6.6% above a year ago. And basically what you're seeing is manufacturing in the uh, in New York area, and, uh, the eastern uh, seaboard. Uh, uh, they survey the manufacturers in those particular areas, and they ask the managers, you know, from the viewpoint of... Uh, uh, orders, deliveries, uh, prices, uh, employment. How do you feel this month related, uh, rated uh, versus last month? And 46% of the managers said that August, that said September results were better than August results. That was for the New York area and for the Eastern Seaboard. Uh, 31% said that the September uh, business. Uh, Business in September was um, better than business in August. So uh, the economy is still in good shape and good, and but it has this uh, COVID uncertainty wrapped around it. Uh, one of the things that when we talk about uh, uh, our, you know, the, the big picture, we also have to talk about the uh, the individual picture, your picture. So let's. Uh, uh, you can give us a call. Uh, we have a toll-free number here. It's one eight 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 two eight one eleven ten. If you have any questions with regard to your financial uh, plan, uh, your goals, and how you're going to meet your goals in terms of uh, uh, buying a new house and uh, uh, sending the kids off to school and saving for retirement and uh, you have a good idea of what the costs involved in these uh, activities, these goals are. And the question is, do you have a plan? Have you laid out a plan to be able to utilize your income in terms of your paychecks uh, to be able to funnel that money into different areas that can, uh, you can use investments to increase the value of those monies to the point where they can uh, meet your goals. In other words, if your goals are retirement, then 
basically have to look at uh, what you have in terms of a pension or a uh, your Social Security and uh, say that uh, basically we have a uh, probably a, a difference, a major difference between your uh, what it costs to run your household uh, per month and what Social Security or your pension is providing, which means that you do have to have some other uh, uh, nest egg that you can draw on to supplement your uh, Social Security. And uh, same thing with uh, if you're younger and thinking about buying a house, you know, then you have to be able to put together the down payment for the house. So the idea here is uh, uh, if, you're, if you have debts, get the debts paid off, uh, build up an emergency fund, and also uh, uh, get to the point where uh, you're putting automatically putting money away, either in a 401k or 403b or, or an IRA, uh, so that you can meet your goals in the future. So the idea here is to be able to control the spending. And a big part of controlling the spending is to have a plan so that you know uh, where your money is going so that you can say, well, should I buy a boat or shouldn't I buy a boat? Well, if you take a look at your financial plan and say, well, we've got to get, uh, uh, we've got to repair the house and we've got to uh, uh, get the kids ready for school and the cost of living is increasing and we've got to put away money for retirement. So then the question is, if you have the plan, uh, can you afford the boat? Well, what are you going to give up to buy the boat? Okay, you might decide, uh, oh, I'm I'm in good shape, great shape, and you might go buy the boat. But otherwise, you say, I have to give up something. What is it? Is it the home repairs? Is it the children's education? Is it the braces for the kids' teeth? Uh, what are you going to give up for the boat? So if you got the plan, you know what you're working for, and you can keep it on top of your plan and, and make sure that it's working properly. If you don't have a plan, then uh, you you don't know what you're giving up when you buy, when you throw your money around and buy things that uh, uh, you're going to wonder, why did I buy that after, you, after you've done the deed, so to speak. So you can give us a call with regard to your plans or comments with regard to what's happening in your area. The number here is 1-888-281-1110. That's 1-888-281-1110. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Hi, this is Colleen, producer of Get Rich Slow. Each week we take calls from people just like you that have questions for our host, Jim McAleese. Oftentimes, Jim can't answer the questions in depth because of time restraints or the need for more detailed information. That's why we encourage you to call Cornerstone Consultants, Inc., the financial counseling service founded by Jim and Tama McAleese. Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. has helped thousands of clients get more for their money. Whether your financial goal is to avoid common investing mistakes, buying your next home, planning for retirement, finding that right mutual fund, or covering your assets with the right kind of insurance, Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. will guide you to wise financial choices. 
So call Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. for an appointment today at 440-647-2793. That number again, 440-647-2793. Now back to more Get Rich Slow. Welcome back to Get Rich Play. This is your host this morning, Jim McAleese. You know, we've been talking about... Jim? You know, what's Jim? going on? Yes. I'm yes. sorry. I hate yes, to Charlie. interrupt, but we have a great question, and I wanted to make sure we had plenty of time mm-hmm. to answer it. Okay. Okay. It's from Mark. Do we have somebody else? No. Okay. No, no, no. Um, Mark gave us a call during the break, but didn't want to be on the air. He's He's doing errands, and he'll listen on the radio. Um, but he and his fiance really want to buy a house. And although they're both doing a much better job at managing their money, they still have debt issues. And um, he was saying that in order to um, to help out, his fiance's mom and dad, her parents, uh, said they would be willing to co-sign on a mortgage. And I think this is a really great question for a lot of people, especially looking at houses now. And he wants to know, should we jump in? Should we do this? Is this a great idea? Or are we getting in over our heads? Well, I I think you're getting in over your head. A a simple piece of advice for anyone looking to make a purchase of any kind. If you do need a co-signer, you're not ready to make that purchase, period. You know? It's way too soon for you two to be thinking about buying a home. You know, when a lender requires a, a co-signer, it basically means they don't believe that you'll pay the money back, so they want some established uh, uh, source of money, like parents, uh, that can be able to pay the money back. So uh, my advice to you guys is to wait Uh uh, two of you are uh, planning on getting married, so basically get married, live in a, de- a decent, inexpensive rental for a while until you get things squared away. And what you do then is, is from then to from now to then is basically uh, get the debts paid off. Uh, then you got to save up for an emergency fund of maybe three to six months of the of uh, living expenses for the household, and uh, then you can start putting away, um, you know, cash or down payment on a, on a unreasonable house. Uh, when it comes time to buy a home, a uh, a 20-year fixed-rate mortgage with a down payment of at least uh, 10% would be good. 20% would be better because it would help avoid the uh, the private uh, mortgage insurance, the PMI, um, just make sure that the payments on the loan are no more than 25% of your uh, combined take-home pays. And then keep that uh, keep the household payments at uh, 25% or below will make it easier to address other financial uh, issues like savings and investment. So even though you're 
your finance, your fiance's mother or father are generous people at this point, uh, helping you to, to two of you to buy a house, something you obviously can't afford. So uh, it might be more of a blessing. It might be more of a burden than a blessing. And uh, so what you do is make sure that you do it on your own and uh, uh, and. Keep track of your money, and uh, other things will other things will occur in life, and you just can't be uh, up to your eyeballs in debt as well as debts to the uh, uh, mortgage company for your house. Uh, I hope that helps you, Mark. Uh, if it doesn't, give us a call. Uh, let's go to the uh, phone line. Hello, this is Jim McAleese. Can I help you? Good. Good morning, Jay. Good morning, Jim. Uh, I got a question. Is there any way that you can use uh, passive investments such as real estate to uh, defer earned income? Uh, so you got you have real estate. Is that the idea? I, I, I have real estate. I have real estate, and I, what I'm trying to do is avoid paying taxes or minimizing taxes on earn income. Is there any way you can do that? Uh, not really. One of the things you control when you do own the uh, 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 real estate is uh, you control the expenses on it. Uh, if, you, if you improve your property, of course, uh, that cuts down on your income uh, as well as uh, uh, that's one way of cutting down on your taxes, but uh, they've got you pretty well cornered with regards to the real estate. Uh, you, you're, bring, you're bringing in so much, you're depreciating your real estate, but it's over a very, very long period of time. Uh, you take a look at your income and your expenses, and uh, you write off as much as you can. You really can't take a loss. It's hard to take a loss on on real estate. So I think you're kind of trapped. I don't have any good. But what I'm saying is, for example, de- ideas, depreciation, uh, earned or depreciation, uh, taxes, and insurance. That, can that go to uh, offset earned income or no? Uh, no, not earned income. In other words, that's as far as the. As far as the real estate is concerned, uh, that's all part of that uh, that real estate bundle. Uh, but uh, there's only a certain amount of loss you can claim. I forget what it announced there. You can claim a certain loss on your income that you can apply to uh, your earned income. But I forget what that number is. But it's it's limited, is this is what you're saying, limited, rather than. Right. Right. Okay. I got you. Thanks so much, Jim. You helped me quite a bit. <laughs> okay. You take yeah, care. Bye-bye. Have a good day now. Bye-bye. This is Jim McAlee. You're listening to Get Rich Slow. You can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's 1-888-281-1110. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. I know you want to leave me, but I refuse to let you go. I don't mind, 
Welcome back to Get Rich Slow. This is your host this morning, Jim McAleese. You know, when we talk about uh, what's happening and the strength of the uh, recovery, what we see is that, uh, hey, uh, when this COVID situation originally appeared before the vaccines, uh, it was really scary. But now uh, with the vaccines, and now they're talking about a a booster shot for people over 65 or or, uh, people that... uh, I think healthcare workers or uh, people that have uh, uh, called morbidities that uh, require the shot. We're talking about a booster shot for people over 65 plus other categories. Uh, people are still out there. Uh, they're not. They're not the the uh, COVID is not phasing people as much as it did originally. And I think part of that is the schools. Uh, the kids are going back to school, and uh, uh, life is uh, uh, moving back to more normalcy. In fact, if you take a look at the sales in August, uh, they surprised to the upside with uh, consumers ready and eager to, to buy in spite of this Delta variant. According to the U.S. Department of Commerce report on advanced monthly sales for retail and food services for August, uh, retail sales in August uh, were up uh, seven tenths of a percent from July, and that was higher than expected. In fact, uh, uh, the expectations uh, from the economists was a decrease of eight tenths of a percent, and uh, it basically increased seven tenths of a percent. Uh, <clears throat> that was after uh, retail sales had fallen 1.8 percent in July. Let's go to the phones again. Hello, this is Jim McAleese. Okay. So we almost had somebody, but then they 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 lost us. Okay. So let's go back to where we were in terms of retail sales and this uh, COVID. So people are getting out there and people are buying something. And, uh, uh, you know, the... the Things that are holding us back right now, holding the economy back right now, is this uncertainty with regard to this COVID and also these supply chain problems. And the, uh, for instance, the supply chain that's holding up the uh, uh, auto industry, you know, because of the chip problems. I drive by uh, auto dealerships, and and now the, the present scheme, I guess, is to is to park all your cars around the perimeter uh, of the dealership. And if you look beyond the perimeter, there's hardly anything there. You know, they don't have the inventory uh, because of the chip problem. And uh, motor vehicles have been a drag on the uh, sales because of that. And uh, they were down 3.6% in August from July, and July was down 4.6% from June. So that's according to the Ward's Automotive Group, and uh, basically what they're seeing is surging prices and limited inventory have depressed uh, auto sales in the weakest level in in more than a year. Okay, let's go back to the phone. We have Martin here. Hello, Martin. This is Jim McAleese. Can I help you? Yeah, hello, sir. Hello. 
I had a question regarding uh, proportions of investments and where they should be. I've got about a quarter of a million dollars just in cash, uh, liquid assets waiting on the sidelines in case I see a stock opportunity purchase. Uh, I did so back in February, and I made over 200% on a couple of bank stocks purchased. Uh, and the rest of the assets are in stocks and land and, and such. But total assets up to $3 million, And I wondered, is that too much capital to have liquid in cash? Uh, it does help me sleep better in the evenings, but uh, I don't know if that's too much. Well, how much do we have totally? I, I heard a number like $3 million. About three, $3 million, three and a half. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you have three and a half million, and uh, how much do you have in uh, in savings and call it bonds, bonds and cash? How much do you have in bonds and cash? Because bonds and cash don't move very much. In fact, if anything, you've got money in bonds right now, unless they're in high yield bonds, you're probably losing money. But it helps you sleep at night. So how much do you have uh, in things other than the stock market? Just cash, about a quarter of a million in cash. I'm just waiting okay. for a stock opportunity, basically. I don't know if that's advisable or not, but I've done well that, that way in the past. Okay. Uh, to me, uh, you're talking less than 10%, uh, the, the quarter of a million versus the three million. Uh, you're looking at 10% of your assets are in cash. And to me, that's a, that's a good number. Uh, it's a number that if you see opportunities in terms of uh, uh, one of the things you're you're looking at right now, Martin, is should I put my money into a stock? And what happens when you when you have when you're totally committed and you have no reserves in cash is that another opportunity will come along. So you grab one opportunity and uh, you're fully committed now. So Something else comes along, which might be better than the thing that is here right now. So uh, I, I would feel more comfortable with that 10% cash rather than have everything right up in the market. Uh, I have no I have no reserves. I have no ability to to move in if I if, a, if something uh, appears in terms of real estate. If something. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, appears that I hadn't even thought of that, I, that, but I've committed already to this other thing. So uh, I keep the money uh, until I could really. Um, I keep the money in, in in my pocket and and make the and help me sleep at night. Uh, okay. <clears throat> okay. Okay, thank you very much, sir. I, I appreciate that information. You have a great day. All right, Mark. You take care. This is Jim McAleese. You're listening to Get Rich Slow. You can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's 1-888-281-1110. Uh, we were talking about, um, you know, what's going on in the in the uh, retail uh, market, and basically what you're seeing is that People are out there buying uh, the uh, retail sales for August uh, were up to $618.7 billion. And uh, what shows is that uh, the sales have picked up re- earlier in the summer. Shoppers 
directed money towards services such as dining and traveling. But now with the COVID restrictions, the concerns about the variant, they've been the shopping is is more uh, cautious. But in basically in the second quarter that ended in June, U.S. consumer spending rose at a robust 11.8 percent annual rate, and that contributed strongly to economic growth during that period. I don't know what it will be for this third quarter, but we'll find out sometime in the middle of October if we start to see uh, the results and the earnings for the third quarter. Uh, the Delta variant is, cur- is curbing uh, demand for services such as travel and leisure, uh, but they, I think people are shifting their demand back towards goods again. And... Uh, the retail data, sales data showed receipts at restaurants and bars, uh, which are the only service spending category in this report, had stagnated in uh, August. And uh, the surprising improvement in sales underpinned in part by uh, back-to-school shopping and payments for millions of families with children suggest healthy demand for goods. Uh, the report showed firmer receipts to online retailers and general merchandise stores. So, uh, and if you take a look at, <clears throat> if you take a look at how the uh, sales have come back over the last year, if you take a look at year to date, comparing uh, August to August a year ago, you'll see that retail and food services are up 15.1 percent from a year ago. Uh, even motor vehicles, which are uh, in the doldrums right now because of the chip problem. They're up 11% from last year. Uh, furniture is up 15.6%. Uh, uh, general merchandise stores is up 15%. Food services and drinking places, they're up 32% from a year ago. So um, there's been a lot of progress that was made uh, so far this year. And Part of it uh, shows up in the uh, consumer price index. And all of us have been watching prices go up and up and up. <clears throat> the ones we notice first are basically food and gasoline because we buy them on a, on a regular basis. And the U.S. Department of Labor keeps track of their rising prices with their CPI report every month. So... What we saw on Tuesday, the U.S. Department of Labor reported in their consumer prices uh, index for August that uh, uh, last month uh, the index rose in seasonally adjusted three-tenths of one percent in August from July, and that was slower than the five-tenths of a percent the month before, and debt and debt and down from June's nine-tenths of one percent. So the month-to-month increase in the uh, consumer price index is slowing down, which is a good sign. And uh, the CPI basically is measuring uh, what consumers pay for goods and services, including groceries and clothes and restaurants and meals and just about everything else. On an annual basis, price pressures ease slightly. And... uh, the, uh, for year over year, what you see is the consumer price index rose 5.3% in August 
and that was down from 5.4% in June over a 12-month period. And uh, the core CPI uh, uh, over a 12 and where we exclude food and fuel, that increased uh, 4% in August over a 12-month period versus 4.3% in July over a 12-month period. So there is an indication that inflation is cooling, but it still remains strong. And, uh, uh, you know, inflation basically heated up for several reasons. One, the U.S. gross domestic product rose at a 6.6% seasonably adjusted annual rate in the second quarter. And uh, what you saw was that uh, there was a lot of uh, issues and problems in the supplies, and that drove up inflation because uh, the the, the, um, the economy came on, the recovery came on so strong that it caught a lot of people flat-footed. Uh, one of the places that uh, we're, we're looking at for some sort of an inflation relief has been import prices, but it's not there either. Uh, what we're seeing here is that uh, if we take a look at the CPI, the CPI has gone up, uh, consumer price index has gone up 5.3% over the last 12 months. The producer price index, which is the uh, basically the uh, amount that uh, equipment costs and things of this nature, the producers are paying, that's up 8.3%. And basically, the cost of imports is up uh, uh, 9% over the last 12 months. So <clears throat> what you're looking at is uh, there's no relief. There's no spot that you can look to and say, well, that, that's a good spot for uh, relief from inflation. Uh, and one of, the, one of the things that's keeping up inflation is this uh, uh, the uh, problems with the supply chains. Uh, everything is costing more. The, uh, as I mentioned last week, the uh, owner of uh, Mansk, uh, the big shipping uh, sea container ship company, uh, they indicated that they had problems and congestion in the ports. Problems with the railroads getting into the ports and trucking companies getting into the ports. And had all sorts of problems with regard to the ships off uh, shore. They can't get into the ports. So or they're lined up in the, uh, uh, in the ocean outside uh, Long Beach and, and San Pedro and other places. So uh, what you see is that uh, the, U.S. Is, the U.S. economy is... is Moving forward through all of this, uh, all of these problems, and uh, industrial produ- industri- industrial production and capacity utilization is up uh, uh, in uh, uh, production increased four tenths of one percent in August, and the uh, capacity utilization increased to seventy six point four percent. So everywhere you look. Uh, it's basically good news. Uh, Philadelphia Manufacturing Outlook, uh, the, uh, the Federal Reserve Bank of, uh, of Philadelphia indicated that comparing uh, September 
uh, orders and shipping and all the rest of it to uh, August, um, 33.6% of the survey said that uh, September was better than August. And if you take a look at the Empire State Manufacturing, something like 46% said uh, September was better than August. So this is Jim McAleese. You're listening to Get Rich Slow. Stay tuned. I'll be right back. Welcome back to get. Welcome back to get this slow. As the seasons change, we can look back in time for all the lessons we have learned. Some lessons were learned the hard way, but not all. And when we look forward, we we'll learn more because we're never so smart that we do not need need to learn. Some of the learning will be painful, but most of it will be pleasant and useful. After a while, you learn the subtle difference between holding a hand and changing a soul, and you learn that love doesn't mean security, and you begin to learn that kisses are not contracts and presents are not promises. You begin to accept your defeat for the pain up and your eyes open with the grace of maturity, not the grief of the child. And you learn to build all your roads for today because tomorrow's ground is too uncertain for plans and futures have a way of falling down in its life. After a while, you learn that even sunshine burns if you get too much. So you plant your own garden and decorate your own soul instead of waiting for somebody to bring you flowers and that you learn that you really can't afford, that you really are strong, that you really do have to work you learn and learn and learn with each goodbye you learn. So enjoy yourself until we meet again next week for more Get Rich Slow. And may God protect you and keep you safe. You have been listening to Get Rich Slow with host Jim McAleese. For an outline and registration form regarding the Money School series, call 440-647-2793. For a complete list of books written by Tama McAleese, call 440-647-2793. Or to make an appointment with Jim regarding your own personal financial issues, call 440-647-2793. 2793. Jim will be back with Get Rich Slow next Saturday morning on 1420 WHK with more common sense finance strategies for financial winners. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Next Financial Group, Inc., a member of FINRA and SIPC. Cornerstones Consultant, Inc. is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group, Inc.